Hey, Rebecca, guess what? What, JP? What? Usually when we do the teaser, you're the one that's excited and I'm the one that just keeps <laughs> things moving. And I'm going to flip it this time because this time oh. I am excited oh. about today's oh. guest. Why are you so excited today, JB? I can sum it up in a single word. One word. Let's hear it. And that word is imagineering. Ah, imagineering is a good and fun word. Fun word. Fun people. Well, exactly. Okay, so if you're out there and you like art and you think that you're going to have a life as a starving artist, today's mm -hmm. guest started as a starving artist and he found his way all the way to Disney Imagineering. Today's guest is Patrick Brennan, former leader in Disney Imagineering, and he's going to tell us how a starving artist begins his Disney leadership adventure. Stay with us. Welcome. I'm your host, JB Adams. And I'm your host, Rebecca Morgan. In this series, we bring you conversations with experienced leaders. Because a leader is anyone who influences change, we want to understand not just what leaders do, but who they are and how they can be effective in a rapidly changing world. We hope you'll learn some things about our guests, about our topic, and also about yourself. This is Leadership Life Stories. You can find episodes of this and all other Victor Media Group shows on our website at victormediagroup.co. And if you like what you're hearing, subscribe and connect with us on your favorite social media platform. We'll be right back after this important message. Well, hi there, listeners. It's Rebecca Morgan. If you told my younger self you are going to love talking about leadership, and when you grow up, you will lead hundreds and develop thousands of managers and leaders and create great places to work, I would have laughed at the idea because I was focused on becoming a dolphin trainer. Yeah, while I still love dolphins, what I really love to do is leadership development. So much so that I created the Awesome Leader League, the ultimate collection of people-centered leadership skills to help you be a better leader. If you're looking for ways to become more confident and an effective people-centered leader that people will trip over their own feet to follow, this is your resource. And did I mention we do it in 20 minutes or less? Join us now at theawesomeleaderleague.com. Welcome to Leadership Life Stories. I'm JB Adams and my co-host is Rebecca Morgan. This season of Leadership Life Stories is devoted to examining Disney leadership as the Walt Disney World Resort celebrates its 50th anniversary. Today's guest is Patrick Brennan. He enjoyed a 32-year career at Walt Disney Imagineering, where he served as the Vice President of Creative Development and the Director of Design and Production, among other roles. He has contributed to the development of attractions at every one of Disney's theme parks around the world, and because he started his Imagineering career in 1980, we would say that he is of the Epcot generation of Imagineers. He is retired from Disney, continues to do contract work in attraction design, and currently serves as an adjunct professor at the University of Central Florida teaching themed experience design. In this segment, you'll hear Patrick Brennan describe his leadership philosophy, why Disney leadership is a big deal, and what he learned from his Disney leadership role model, Imagineering leader, Marty Sklar. Patrick Brennan, welcome to the show. Thank you, it's good to be here. This show is about leadership. So let's start by asking, Patrick, in general, what is your leadership philosophy? I believe a leader is a part of the team, not leading the team. That person is there to support, to facilitate, to protect, remove obstacles, mm -hmm. to enable the team to do their best. But at the same time, to demand professionalism 
and to expect people to bring their best game. Uh, a lot of it has had to do with my coming up in Walt Disney World and through Imagineering, because the first people I ever worked with were Walt's original Imagineers. They had a significant influence on who I am today and how I approached my, my career. I want to set a little bit more context. So we have some skeptics who might be thinking, so you were a leader and you helped develop attractions at a theme park. Is the Disney company a big deal? Is the entertainment and leisure industry a big deal? What do you think? I absolutely do. I've dedicated about 40 years of my life to it. So I, without question, think that this is an important industry. And the reason I think it is, is because this is what people do when people make decisions about themselves, about what's important to them. There are a lot of other responsibilities and things that you have to do to survive. But the entertainment industry is there for you to make a choice about yourself, what satisfies you, what touches you. So I think the entertainment industry is extremely important for human culture. It is something that has been part of human culture for as long as there's been a human culture. Religion, you know, some people may not agree with this, but religion falls into that category of satisfying something more than survival. So if I may paraphrase um, what I'm hearing, the choices that you make regarding entertainment say something about your identity. Absolutely. And your aspirations, things that you cannot do normally or cannot find a way to incorporate into your life in a normal way. So it's something that you do extra to enrich your life. It's a, a true expression of being human. Wow. Now, when I was a Disney cast member, do you remember the, if we ever talked about our product in that philosophical way? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I do. I think with, with the focus that is eternally there on the guest, and I think our founder had incredible respect for his guests, felt that he was doing something for them. He was focused on them, on their satisfaction. There, well, I think it was Disneyland was first opening, and there was a moment where Walt is walking through the park, and one of his maintenance guys says, "Well, look at this. These guests keep walking through this area. They keep walking right through this path." And Walt said, "Then make a path there. They're telling you something. Mm -hmm. Not let's put more barriers. Mm -hmm. Let's instead listen to and observe your guests and respond to them." I and would you say that's parallel to what you just said about your leadership philosophies? Yeah, Listen absolutely. to the people that you're leading. Oh yeah, absolutely. One of the wonderful things about working in Imagineering is we had a lot of great, inspiring people come and speak with us. And one of these speakers that came was Simon Sinek. And there was a statement he had in one of his books that I think that this book was uh, Leaders Eat Last. And to me, that meant a lot. Like he said something that I never knew about Marines, the Marines, where the Marines battalion, the leader of that battalion is not selected by other leaders or the, the you know, the battalion itself picks the leader. So I think that is really inspirational to look at yourself as part of the team, always be that team player and not think of yourself as the boss. You're never the boss. You are only as good as your team. You cannot do anything without the rest of the team. It's impossible. 
Excellent. JB, I don't know if this ties in, but when Patrick shared the story of how it's a big deal, the industry and the entertainment industry, what came to mind is being a cast member and being told that Walt and his team really wanted to create this escape from reality for people. And for this question, is it leading into that? Like, how do you know your work as an Imagineer is particularly a big deal? And I'd love to know what attractions you've worked on that contributes to that Disney mission. So I, I want to say this idea that I'd like to clarify my interpretation of Walt's mission wasn't always to escape reality. It was not that. It was an aspirational experience. It was getting to do something more in life. It was getting to step into another world. It wasn't so much an escape, but a, but a door opening that was a reflection of your own desires and wishes. And when it was a fantasy story of a princess or a Western story of being a cowboy, it reached out to you and you said, I would love to feel that. And when you walk into the Disney parks, there are so many different experiences out there, but you get to step in. And for that moment, there's a great phrase. I don't know if you know this phrase very well. It's a suspension of disbelief. What a weird statement. Suspension of disbelief. Okay. That's when you're allowing yourself to go, you know what, I'm going to pretend, I'm going to play, I'm going to step in, and I'm going to accept this for the moment. And when you do, that's when the real magic happens, when you actually feel for that one moment, you're stepping into the Star Wars universe at Galaxy's Edge. Or when I was young, what, two thirds of all television and movies were Western themed. So when I went to the parks the first time, that's what I was like, I'm getting to be this. I get to step in. Look, at that's a real wood fort. Look, it's real trees. Yeah, it's a real. So it was amazing. I got to play. So, yeah, so I was just going to say, Patrick, one of the things that you're pointing out to me, which I had really not considered before, was it's not just immersing yourself in this experience. It's also imagining yourself as the hero or heroine of the story. You get to you know, play the role. 100%. When you watch your own child, as you bring your children to the park, and your child gets to be the one that pulls the sword from the stone, even though it's you're, you're watching someone else do it, you vicariously are experiencing it. And I think that's what happens when, when you go into the Disney parks, is that when you see someone else, when you see a child embracing it for a moment, or they're dressed that way, and you just sit there and you go, oh my, and you talk to the child as if you address the child as mm -hmm. the role they're playing and mm -hmm. the child completely accepts it and you do at the same time and it, it's total stranger and you're relating this very deep emotional way it's it's incredible exactly that's how it feels <laughs> so we had you describe your leadership philosophy how would you define disney leadership specifically I think you cannot, you cannot separate us as a company from our heritage. So the, the two founders of the Disney company, Walt and Roy, who are two brothers of different skills and talents that completely and absolutely balanced each other and both accepted their role and was very happy and proud of their role in what they were able to accomplish together. Walt was the dreamer, we all know it, but nothing would have happened, not a single thing would have happened without his brother plowing the way, removing the obstacles, and being 
the supporter of the creative vision. And I think if you are a good Disney leader, you first and foremost respect and honor the creative idea and become inspired by it and do everything you can to fulfill that idea, whatever that is, whatever attraction is, whatever task you're after, whatever you're going to do is that you respect the creative idea, what the idea is, the story, obviously. Yeah. Patrick, do you have a Disney role model and how did this person demonstrate Disney leadership? Like what were their values and behaviors? That's really easy to answer. When I started with Imagineering back in the eighties or actually 1980, the leader of Imagineering was Marty Scalar. Marty Scalar worked with Walt prior to the opening of Disneyland. And he was a writer. Primarily he was a writer and he actually wrote, there was a monthly message to the employees or to the press. And Marty was the one that wrote that. And he wrote a lot of Walt's speeches. That meant that Marty really had to understand and step into the mind of Walt Disney and to be very close to him, to be able to speak for him. So it was a really interesting relationship he had with Walt. And so he's the leader of Imagineering. So here's what I will say about Marty is that Marty had a photographic memory. He remembered everyone. He said hello to you. He recognized you in the room. He would ask you a question. He would treat you as if you were important, not just the leader, not just the creative leader, not just the project manager, but the people surrounding the people in the team. He took the time and he followed through. He felt everything was important enough to follow through and he took the time to do it. And he did that all the way through his entire career. It was remarkable. And if you think about him, here's going to say one more thing. Walt Disney only built one park. He did Disneyland. All the rest of those parks were done by others who were inspired by Walt, mm -hmm. primarily led by Marty. I think Marty was involved in every single park, leading every single park all the way up to and including Hong Kong. So that's a remarkable experience. And I got to talk with Marty a couple times a month. I would call and talk with him because I had a unique role in the company at that time. And I was able to give him some insights and keep him abreast of certain things that he wouldn't have heard any other way. So I got to spend a lot of time and a lot of communication with Marty. I'm very proud of the fact that he embraced me in my and in my career and that I had that relationship I had with him. It was really incredible. I have one more follow-up for you. What does it mean to you when the leader follows up? What impact does that make on you? It's, it absolutely makes you want to deliver and you want you to be as good. It wants you to uh, contribute and you don't want to disappoint them. It's a personal thing. Often people leave their managers, not their jobs. It's because they don't have that relationship or connection with people, they, with a leader, they don't trust them, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So if you have someone that trusts you, demonstrates that trust, values you, demonstrates that value, it makes you reflect that back to that person and to the people that you're leading. Absolutely. That's the way you motivate people. Make me cry over Marty, man. <laughs> Thanks, Patrick. What? She wins. Rebecca wins. <laughs> I'm crying over here. I'm like melting over your stories about Marty, right? Because to me, that's what leadership oh, is was, all about. Uh, there's so what many. What leadership is all about. Yeah. And he cared very much about the families of the people that, that work for him. 
He knew them and he would ask about them. He knew that it wasn't happening without the support of the families that were part of it. He really did. Mm. It's incredible. Let's take a moment and reflect on what Patrick shared with us. Um, okay, so this segment gets me excited because he spoke so eloquently about the philosophy of entertainment. And it means so much to hear someone say, the entertainment that you choose and the way you spend your leisure time says something about your identity. And Disney yes. really gets that. And so that just got me excited because when you think about, okay, what does Disney want people to feel when they make this choice for entertainment? They want people to feel safe, which is not a bad thing to feel, but they also want people to feel connected. So I, I was just excited by that conversation, but I have a yeah. question for you. Oh, okay. So do you have a reaction to that? Well, no, I was going to say that was really philosophical, right? But it was so cool because I don't think we ever really talk about that or look at the business in that way. That's not how we do it. But to hear how he explains it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And it helps you make decisions. If you are an Imagineer and you're trying to create this product, it, knowing that philosophy helps you make good decisions. Yes, absolutely. Okay, you I have a, a question. I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. When Patrick talked about Marty Sklar, and then at the mm -hmm. end, you cried and talked about- Thanks, GB. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, you cried, um, Rebecca. You cried. It's okay. all about. So why did that make you cry? Why did that touch you in such a way? Yeah, okay, first, thanks for leaving in that I cry, and I do, but it's okay. It's okay. And here's why. Leadership, to me, it's such an important topic and what he shares are behaviors. And if you know Marty, he was back, like he shared an original Imagineer. He was Walt's right hand. He led Imagineering for many, many years. And to hear him talk about these values of leadership, these behaviors, taking care of family, listening, hearing everyone's opinions and ideas and not thinking one person knows it all. These are true examples of what a true leader is to me. And to hear that back then we had these role models and these behaviors and they are right in front of us that we all can do today. And that's why I cry because it just makes sense. Uh, <laughs> you're going to make me cry. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Who knew leadership so emotional? Oh, well, for the two of us, it is. Um, our guest is Patrick Brennan, and we'll be back in a moment to learn more about his backstory and how he found his way to Disney. So please stay with us. Welcome back to Leadership Life Stories. I'm Rebecca Morgan. My co-host is JB Adams and our guest is Patrick Brennan, former vice president of creative development at Walt Disney Imagineering and current freelance attractions designer. We want to learn more about your backstory. And that means JB, soon yes. to be Dr. Adams, wants to analyze your personality. Yes, wow. I do. <laughs> Leadership Life Stories presents the Self-Awareness Quiz, featuring the five-factor model that measures the five personality traits of openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. Remember, leadership begins with self-awareness and you can't change your personality as much as you can manage it. So let's take a little time and get to know our guest. Are you ready, Patrick? Sure. Number one is openness. Patrick, do you consider yourself creative or practical? I have to say creative. 
<laughs> you sound like you're saying it reluctantly. I always I describe myself as a practical creative because ah. I have one foot in, in the real world. It's not just about a great idea. It is about the ideas that can be implemented. So there is a balance. Yes. Regarding conscientiousness, do you consider yourself disciplined or flexible? I have to say I'm flexible. That definitely leading towards the flexibility side. For extroversion, do you consider yourself introverted or extroverted? I'm a shy extrovert. <laughs> okay, we'll take it. Agreeableness, do you consider yourself compliant or challenging? I'm challenging. Good. And regarding neuroticism, do you consider yourself sensitive or steady? Steady. All right. So Patrick Brennan, you are a creative, flexible, shy, extroverted, challenging, steady leader. What do you think that this personality makes you suited for? And what kind of work environment do you think you would be not suited for? I have to say I, I found my magical place. I really did where I was in this place in between creative and project management, mm -hmm. between creative and park operations, between creative and finance. So to me, that was really a, a perfect spot for me because I am creative, but I was able to lead many different groups of creative people across the globe. And I really felt I brought something to that in that bridge, I really was a bridge. I felt absolutely comfortable doing that. What would I not be able to do or shouldn't be doing? Yeah. I don't think I would be good as a military leader. <laughs> I don't think you should put me uh, in charge of sending people to risk their lives for battle. I, I don't think I would be good at that. <laughs> Let's learn more about your early years. Where were you born and raised? I was born in Binghamton, New York. I was raised in upstate New York, Pennsylvania, and moved to Miami Beach, Florida. Wow. At the age of what? 15. Okay. Wow. What generation do you identify with? The hippie baby boomers. Okay. The hippies. Tell us. Yes, the hippie. absolutely. Peace, love, and happiness. All about it. Tell us about your parents' occupations. Well, my, my dad was a salesman. He worked in the food industry. That's why we moved around a lot is because he would get a new job as a, in a new sales position in a bigger, better company, and we would move and follow him. And that's how we ended up in Miami Beach, Florida, was because he got a great job offer there. My mom was one of the most accomplished mothers in the history of the world. And there's a reason, because one of your questions will tell you why. Oh, oh, okay. Do you have siblings? I do. I have two brothers and I have eight sisters. Wow. And where do you fall in the birth order? I'm number four. I'm, I'm in the middle of the older group. <laughs> four, fourth out of 11. Yes. What was your role in the family? I think because my older brother moved away to become a priest. He was going to study to be a priest. I was probably in fifth, fifth grade, fourth or fifth grade. Okay. So he left and he never really came back. So I had another brother who was eight years younger than I was. So I was basically in the middle of all these girls. Okay. And my negotiation skills 
and my ability to survive that is without a doubt a major influence on who I am today. Yeah. So you gave us a little bit of the background of your early years. Tell us about the interest in art. Were you an artistic kid? Oh yeah. I was always drawing and sculpting and playing and making stuff from the very beginning, just was what I did. I was really interested in castles and I would draw castles and battle scenes and I built little castles and had little knights and swordsmen and all that stuff. So yeah, it was always there, always there. And Patrick, you had someone who was an early influence on you, um, someone who was not only an artist, but also a leader. Can you tell us about that person? It's very different. It's not what you would expect. I had an aunt. She was a nun. She was in a cloister convent. A Roman Catholic nun. A Roman Catholic nun. I mean, when you said that you were from um, among 11 siblings, I was just going to say. I had a very Catholic upbringing. So here, anyways, the story is about my Aunt Ruth. She went into the cloister. You know what a cloister convent is? Yeah, isolated. Totally. So they lived in a walled building. The building was one block size in upstate New York. It was a block with a wall. And you enter this building at age high school, right? You graduate high school. You enter this building and you never leave for the rest of your life. And you live in silence or close to silence. And you pray. This is what you do. So she and her sister both did this together. They both went into this cloister convent and the doors closed and they became cloister nuns. And we used to go visit her. And when we first used to go visit her, we go into the room and it would be walled off. We were on one side of the wall, they were on the other side of the wall, and there was a double chain link fence, so you couldn't mm-hmm. touch them. And they had the habit all closed off so you mm-hmm. could only see mm-hmm. their face. It's a very hard, starchy thing. And, and here's all these kids, we're all talking really quietly. So my aunt became the mother superior. And when she became mother superior in the 60s, the next time we came to the convent, that chain link fence was gone. Oh. And then the next time we came to visit, the habit was no longer this rigid thing. It was loose and it was a little shorter. And then the next time we came, we were allowed to hug them. So my aunt, as the mother superior, slowly but surely, in her own way, moved this group of women from this isolated cloister world. And someone was giving, they were going to give this piece of land in upstate New York to the church. And she negotiated to get them build a facility for these women. And they moved out of this city block and into the countryside and lived outside and dressed differently. And she evolved the whole organization to a much more humane, natural, happy life. And then she left. She left the order. She left the order. (laughs) And she moved to San Francisco and she lived there for the rest of her life. And she was an insurance salesman. She was also an artist. We always kind of shared what we were working on. You know, every time I visited her, I always got to see her latest work and she would always talk to me about her latest work. And so she was a really big influence and she showed me just that, just knowing that she 
moved this slowly but surely over time really had a secret impression on me that 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 inspired me what you That's could do with what you could do as a leader because she was a leader so what led you to disney and being this um, artist how did you get there it really was that um i was not aware that there was such a thing i watched uncle walt on tv i didn't understand that there was a the reality of someone was building it someone was designing it it was just walt but i never put together that anyone actually did that so i really was on a very different path i was going to be the next van gogh in my mind uh. this romantic idea romanticized idea of suffering for your art that was something noble and worthy so i was going to be the starving artist. And I actually spent time in New York City after college thinking that's what I was going to do. That's another story. <laughs> Wait, so were you the starving artist for a period of time? I was never starving okay. because I always worked. So I always had some way to pay for my art. I never actually got to the point where whatever I was producing, I was living on. If that was the truth, I would be a dead artist. Okay. There was no way I could have lived on anything that I was producing. Now, some artists is listening to this and they're thinking you went to school. Yes, I did. And studied art. I did. Okay. And studio, uh, but I studied, I studied studio art. Okay. Exactly. I didn't do something practical like graphic design or architecture. I was a studio artist. That's so a dead. You were still preparing to be the starving artist, even yes, as I was. you were in school. After Absolutely. you got out of school, what was the turning point where you said, hey, I could make a living? Oh, I went to visit one of my friends who was doing their, their senior show, art show, and I just went to see her and asked her what she was doing. And she, and she told me that her and her boyfriend were going to go and build a zoo and that they were going to be able to make giant rock caves and rock trees and i'm going what and so i said I, I i want in on that so i went down i applied i got immediately hired but the thing that happened is i went from the individual artist into a creative endeavor something that had a vision it was a cageless zoo this is in miami dade you're trying to create an environment where the animals feel natural Mm -hmm. and the guests are viewing the animals in a natural environment so that's what our job was to create these environments for the animals to live in so i started working there and i got to do all aspects of designing you know an environment building that environment finishing it and it was just the whole scope of work and i just couldn't believe that they were paying me to do this it sounds and like I, you had a real hunger to just get in there and, and do, do it, it. And sort of express that creativity. Yeah. What I'm curious about is this. Tell us about the shift in the mindset from the starving artist only has to manage himself by himself. When you get into this work at the zoo, you're working with others. I'm working with all kinds of people. I'm working with zoologists, with scientists, that, that academic side. I'm working with project managers who just want productivity and they want things move, move, move. And I'm working with day labor. I'm working with fellow artists. 
all of this dynamic is happening. And the thing that I did was because I wanted my project to get done. I wanted to see it. So I would negotiate with all these different groups of people to get what I wanted so I could, I could get my project done. So cool. How did you find your way to Disney? So you're at the zoo. Oh, I'm sorry. How yeah. did you get to Disney? Yeah. One of the Imagineers that came down to visit the zoo was Ralph Nielsen. He was the one that hired me to Disney. Ralph was looking for people who could build dimensional sets for Epcot. So he came down and said, we know that you are, you're gainfully employed and, but you might know somebody out there who would be interested in working. We're building this little thing at Walt Disney World and come by the Coconut Grove Hotel on Saturday or Sunday and we'll be there. And I was there that afternoon. It was Friday afternoon. I was already there and I got hired on the spot. I just was way too enthusiastic and I answered all the questions the right way and my portfolio was adequate and my work experience spoke for me. So it was just the perfect moment. And that's when the light bulb came on that I could actually do this for a living. Yeah. Not just this little project and go back to being a studio artist. Suddenly it was like, but this is Disney. This is the big show. This is Walt's company, the one that I grew up with. And I just couldn't believe it. I just was so thrilled. Okay, Rebecca, let's reflect on what we heard about Patrick Brennan's backstory. What do you think? What's your takeaway? I was so moved by his story about his aunt and being a role model for leadership for him. And because as a leader, things sometimes don't happen quickly, but it's about doing the right thing and making small changes over time and in time that is going to lead to great change and great progress. So you have to stick with it and take those baby steps. But the important thing is to get started. And it's a great example of that. Oh, that's a great point that you make. Also, that each step is sort of an incremental movement in a certain direction. Yeah. So you need to know where you're headed. Exactly, exactly yeah. right. Okay, JB, what about you? What was your takeaway? All right, I can totally relate to being a creative kid and you know like building things and getting messy and dirty and and sort of exploring um, but i can also relate to having an aunt who is an artist because my aunt is a very accomplished painter so my takeaway from that is having art in your life brings you a sense of satisfaction i mean you do it for yourself to get that expression out but you know if you can also please other people with your art that's a cool thing and i also want to mention this for the sake of our listeners you can't see Patrick Brennan, but as we were recording this interview, we can see mm -hmm. him. And yes, he is a full-grown adult man, but when you watch him discussing his so art, so animated. He turns into a kid and he's just so excited about art and yeah. expression and I just think his passion and his interests are are contagious. Yes, absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Our guest is Patrick Brennan, and when we come back, we'll hear his thoughts about the evolution of leadership, both Disney's leadership and his own. So please stay with us. Welcome back to Leadership Life Stories. I'm Rebecca Morgan. My co-host is JB Adams, and our guest is Patrick Brennan former Vice President of Creative Development at Walt Disney Imagineering and current freelance attraction designer. Patrick, in a moment, we're gonna get your perspective on the evolution of Disney leadership over time. But before we do that, 
Hear that? What's that sound? That sound means that it's time to play Walt Disney World Insider Free Association, the game where there are no right or wrong answers, there are no winners or losers, and there are no prizes. Patrick, to play the game, <laughs> we provide you with a series of prompts about your Walt Disney World experience, and for each one, you say the first answer that pops into your head. Okay. Patrick we'll Brennan, are you ready to play? Sure. Your favorite Disney character? Pinocchio. Because he had a dream, he made mistakes, he learned from his, his mistakes and became a better person. Favorite Walt Disney World theme park? Epcot. I was there to build it. I cannot tell a lie. That is will always be my favorite. Favorite Walt Disney World Resort? Fort Wilderness. Ooh. Favorite attraction that's still operating? Spaceship Earth. Hmm. Favorite attraction that's no longer operating? Can't help it. It's Horizons. I worked on it. I loved it. It was a unique ride system. It had great music. You can't lose. Can you sing a little bit for us? No, no, I'm not gonna no sing it. singing. Oh, okay, we can't sing. Sorry, I get distracted. <laughs> Favorite restaurant and meal? The broccoli slaw sandwich at Columbia Harbor House. Okay, anything at Walt Disney World overrated? I think that's a strange question. <laughs> I don't know. I, that's a hard question. Nothing comes to mind. We will take it. Anything at Walt Disney World underrated? Yeah. This may be a surprise. Waiting in line. Because of the people that you can meet and you can dive into the rich pre-show environments that Imagineering creates. We should embrace it. Yes. All right. Thank you for playing Walt Disney World Insider Free Association, Patrick Brennan. Sorry, there's no prizes. <laughs> the memories were prize enough. Exactly. Right? That was a prize in itself. Yes. Right there, for us all. Okay, Rebecca, we have stepped out of the interview momentarily to set some context. Uh, do you have a quiz question for me? Oh, yes, I do. I'm ready to quiz you, JB. Patrick mentions Bruce Laval. Who's Bruce Laval? Bruce Laval was a longtime Disney industrial engineer. He was an executive level leader in operations development. And in the story that Patrick's going to tell, Bruce Laval played a major role in influencing the relationship between operations and Imagineering. And fun fact, he coined the term guestology. Did I nice get it right? Nice job, JB. Nice. So be listening for the moment when Patrick mentions the name Bruce Laval as he describes the evolution of Disney leadership over time. If you think about the leaders of Walt Disney World back in the day, now don't forget, everybody really came from Disneyland. Some people wanted to move to Florida. Some people didn't want to move to Florida. So there was an evolution of homegrown people who start to have their entire experience only at Walt Disney World. And they move up in the organization and they become leaders in the organization that kind of starts to create a unique culture that exists at Walt Disney World because it is so complex and it is such a team effort. Everyone has to cooperate and collaborate in a really intimate way, constantly. Patrick, I, have a, I don't want to interrupt, but I have a question. This goes back to something you said a moment ago. Okay. You got to work 
with the original Walt Disney oh, yeah. Disneyland Imagineers. Yes. What I really want to know is what influence did that have on you as Epcot was being constructed? And then what you just mentioned with regard to new leaders coming up who were not part of Disneyland. What's yeah, the yeah. comparison? Well, the, the number one thing that impressed me about Walt's original Imagineers is that they were all bar none. I can't think of a single one that were not teachers. You know, you, you often hear people say, well, after Walt left, it was like, what will Walt think? I think even Marty has said that. What would Walt do? My experience wasn't that. It was more like, this is how Walt did it. Mm. This is what was important. So it wasn't, what would he think? It's impossible. This is a silly question. But use his design approach in directing you. And that's what his Imagineers did. You know, John Hench and Colin Campbell and Fred Jerger. And these are the ones that I worked closest with. All the ones that were still seated. It just goes on and on. All of these Imagineers, what they would do is, as you were working, and there was something that they wanted you to adjust. They wouldn't say, do this because I said so. They would say, here, we need to do this. And here's the reasons why. And they're mm -hmm. always based in design thoughts or guest experience ideas. They always had something behind it. So I think that's what really influenced me a big, big way is that idea of sharing your reasoning, communicate why behind the decision. Goes back to that, the question of why are you there? What are you doing? Who are you servicing? What's the experience you're trying to create? You have a good reason why. Mm -hmm. And then people will come along with you if the reason is good enough. If it is not good enough, the system will resist it. There's a lot of resistance built into the system because it is a business and there is limited funds. And the funds are only available a certain period of time. They're taking capital and they're applying capital with a goal in mind of return on their investment. Okay. So if you're gumming that up, it's going to come back to you. So that resistance is built everywhere throughout the system. So being the creative leader, you have to know how to work through that resistance and have a good why, have a good reason why you need something or don't want something. Tell us about the evolution of leadership styles over time. The early leaders at Walt Disney World came out of Disneyland, but then there was another whole group of people that came in and some of them came from the military. So I think I would say that in the early days, some people may or may not agree with me, but I was young and I was new to the company. My interpretation was it was a combination of the good old boys. You know, you were on the team and you knew what was going on and you just did it. In, and there was a lot of shorthand with that group. And, and then there was an element, I will say, that I personally experienced, which was management by intimidation in the early days, when some of the leaders would walk into the room, you sat to attention. You either didn't want to be seen or, or you wanted to be seen for a different reason. So that I think was a little bit more male dominated at the time. You know, there very few women had uh, strong positions at the beginning, but let's talk about that. It is not that company. It truly evolved in a much more diverse way. Walt Disney World leadership was very aware of, of where it needed to, to develop and mm -hmm. has done a very conscious and very direct in trying to 
address any of those issues and be a positive force in, in society that but way let, let's put that as in leaders. That style existed because it worked at the time. Yeah, exactly. Why do you think it was called for at the time and what changed and what replaced it? Describe I, I think it was the norm. I don't think it was it, it just the way if you went on to any major giant construction site that had time and budget and, and had to get something done. And I don't, it's, it's, it was way business was done. It was simple as that. I don't think it was unique in that way. What was unique is that you have this creative idea that you're trying to implement. And I would say that Imagineering had a very strong role, a much more influential role back in those early days because it was a corporation without Walt. So they relied heavily on, on Imagineering to give that direction and to say enough is enough. This is what we need. There's always been, as long as I, as long as I can see through the entire company's history, there is a push and pull between creative and financing that creative idea. Because as I say, it's a business and it has to be profitable or there's no point. Yeah. If we can't make a profit at this, then we shouldn't be in the business or we won't be in the business. Simple as that. That won't last. And for the folks who don't know, management by intimidation can be characterized and recognized as including. <laughs> Just like direct confrontation mm. and basically calling you out, pointing to the failure in something that you <laughs> did and often for good reason and sometimes for not such good reason. But that was definitely the, something that was normal, I think, in American business, period. Is it an effective leadership style, do you believe? I, I don't think so. I think that's why we've, it, it evolved itself away from that into yeah, much more collaborative. There collaborative was a point, now. yeah, you know, during the Bruce Laval era, we had this process, almost six months worth of real focus and effort to develop a more collaborative partnership because there was some built up history of Imagineering pushing the creative and, and the business side of it was saying, this is too much. This costs too much. Mm. This, is, this is too difficult. There's got to be a better way. We got to be able to control this better. So there was a serious effort okay. and it was serious. It was a true serious endeavor that all levels of leadership were trying to accomplish and really it was genuine is what i'm saying and it really it, it worked probably many of the decisions and agreements that came out of that effort of collaboration still exist today you and know? it changed people's behaviors yeah definitely i think what it exposed was the lack of trust on both mm -hmm. sides and the lack of respect for the other role and it opened the eyes for everybody because it, it was really genuine. Like I said, it was heartfelt and it was meant to be exactly what it was, a real change in how we move forward. Okay. What is your takeaway from this experience? Absolutely. 100% trust and respect is the most important part of any organization. You have to have both and to respect someone, you have to understand their challenges and what they're trying to accomplish so that you could be a partner. It takes both efforts side by side and you have to be bold and you have to be brave and you have to be honest 
and you don't always agree and it's okay. So JB, what are your takeaways from listening to Patrick? I was really intrigued that Patrick got to work with the original Disneyland Imagineers. Mm. I thought that was really cool. They are all also Disney legends. And he brings up to me what's one of the most important takeaways. And that is when you are leading anybody, but particularly when you're leading creative people, you have to explain the why. And when you help people see the objectivity, we have a budget, we have a timeline, we can't indulge all the ideas. I just think that makes a huge difference in helping people follow you to bring this creative vision to fruition. I also want to point out that trust and respect should be common sense, should be common sense, but sometimes we need to be reminded of it and you'll get the best work out of creative people when you show trust and respect. What do you think, Rebecca? Yeah, I want to talk about something that, you know, if you work for Disney, you know this operations versus imagineering. And you have this conflict sometimes where what he talked about is you have the creative side and then the park operators and they're kind of doing their own thing and they just point fingers at each other. This is super common, not just at Disney, but also in the real world outside. I mean, my sister works in healthcare administration and they have the same thing. They have doctors versus the administrators. Okay, so, but Patrick's point was, we have these things and everyone's working in their own frame, but it's when we step out and have that, you know, intentionality to really stop and listen to what our partners are wanting and what their needs are. That's when the real collaboration comes together and helps bring the magic to life. That's what he's saying. And I absolutely love it because that's absolutely true. Yeah. It's establishing the common ground so that you can find a common direction. You got it. This brings us to the end of part one of a two-part interview with Patrick Brennan. In our next episode, we're going to learn his thoughts on how leaders deliver on the creative vision and manage creative conflict. He's also going to share his best leadership advice. So please tune in. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode. You can find Leadership Life Stories and all other Victor Media Group podcasts at victormediagroup.co. Leadership Life Stories was created by J.B. Adams and executive produced by Gerard Mitchell. Today's episode was co-hosted by Rebecca Morgan and J.B. Adams. Sound design by Michael Orlowski. Mixing and editing by Manny Simone. It's the mission of Victor Media Group to make the world a better place by making ourselves better people. If you like this show, follow us at Victor Media Group on your favorite social media platform. This is J.B. Adams. And until next time, remember, if you can dream it, you can do it.